And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, y'all. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, we were able to get, up, get away for two days up to University of Central Florida, UCF, where my daughter Katie is in school, and she, was, uh, she volunteered, under penalty of losing her money for college, to host Thanksgiving dinner for us, which she did. And it would have not been as, as good as it went except for Susan Miller, who made her world-famous Mrs. Miller's Thanksgiving stuffing. Round of applause. Woo! Anyhow, we stayed overnight at a hotel up there, and, uh, and I heard for the very first time in this holiday season the words that I dread to hear every single year. Happy holidays. What does that even mean? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a Scrooge. I'm not a, I, don't, I love the holidays. I love Christmas. I love Advent more, to be honest with you. I'm no Scrooge, but... You know, while I might love the holiday season, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not really too sure about Jesus in this whole thing, because while we're whistling a happy holidays tune and looking at Christmas trees going up and Christmas music being played in Lowe's since Halloween, Jesus, on the first Sunday of Advent, talks about the end of the world. Mark 13, 25, Jesus says, And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then, he says, the Son of Man will be coming in power and great glory, and all the powers of heaven will be shaken to judge the earth. Maybe Jesus didn't get the memo. I mean, here we are, decking the halls with boughs of holly, and Jesus totally kills the mood, right? I mean, you almost imagine a husband and wife saying, you know, honey, I think we need to take Jesus of Nazareth off the Christmas list for next year. Because let's be honest, right? If you come here expecting to hear about away in a manger on the four days before Christmas, the four Sundays, if you come in here thinking that, talking about baby Jesus, you're going to be very disappointed because that's not what the season of Advent is all about. And that's precisely Jesus' point, you see. Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something here, and maybe the end of the world isn't something to run from, but, as I'm going to show you, something to run towards, something to long for, something to expect eagerly, even more than Santa Claus. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, friends, the four Sundays before Christmas, and Advent is not about his first coming away in a manger and sheep and all that sort of thing. No. We'll talk about that at Christmas. What Advent is about is not his first coming, but his second coming with power and great glory. And so we're going to focus on that today, and actually for the next four weeks, the second coming of Christ. And we're going to look today with three ideas, and they all start with the letter F. You know how long it took me to do this? They all start with the letter F, that the creation has fallen, that creation will be fixed, and that we are called to be forward-looking. Three Fs, simple. The creation has fallen, the creation will be fixed, and that we, as a result, are called to be forward-looking. So, in our gospel today, Jesus paints a picture of a scene of the end of the world and how there will be signs in the sun and moon and the stars and on the earth distress among the nations, he says in Luke's gospel. 
pretty dramatic stuff, the end of the world. You know, I've got a good friend of mine, his name is Bill Fortston. He's a professor of history at Montreat University in North Carolina. I went to uh, Iceland with Bill about four years ago. He wrote a book on um, Attila the Hun. Guy's a fascinating dude, I will tell you that. But he's a really good trilogy, um, a trilogy of Gettysburg and alternative history, which is good, but another trilogy about the end of the world called One Second After. And it's about this, that it's about a, a rogue nation, probably Iran, I don't think he says in the book, but Bill writes this book about a rogue nation which explodes a nuclear warhead up into the atmosphere. They launch it up, a low-yield nuke, boom! And, and nobody even knows about it because you can't feel it and you can't hear it, and I guess you can't see it unless you're looking right at it. The, this explosion isn't even discernible except for one critical thing, that a nuclear warhead in outer space emits, emits something called an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP. And an EMP fries every electronic on the Earth below. Everything gets obliterated. It's a big deal, right? Okay, so I'm off Snapchat for a couple of days, or my Facebook is on the fritz. Well, it gets a lot worse than that, actually. And the military has actually wargamed this out repeatedly because what happens if you will knock out all electronics on the earth, airplanes fall from the skies, power grids fail, hospitals go down, you can't start your car because it's all electronic, which means that the trucks that bring food to Publix and Target can't get here. Everything stops, and before you know it, with just one low-yield nuke in the right place, you are left with a society with no power, electricity, hospitals, transportation, or food. And in Bill's book, and I commend it to you, it's very good, it's a novel, one second after this EMP, society collapses. You know, forget the zombie apocalypse, right? This is far worse and probably much more probable. It's a terrifying idea. The book itself is terrifying. I'm fascinated because it shows the unraveling of, of society in Black Mountain, North Carolina, where Bill lives. But here's the question for us today. Is the end of the world something to be feared or something to be longed for? The problem, is, the problem with this idea of the end of the world is that we have no control over it. The problem with this, this fear of the end of the world is we, it is outside of our power. We are victims, and the reason is Point one. The reason is because, friends, we live in a fallen world. See, Jesus Christ, this might sound like he's being a party pooper today about the end of the world, but let me just say this. Jesus Christ is the consummate realist. We're singing a happy tune and wishing each other happy holidays. Jesus is saying, okay, but be frosty. Stay frosty. Stay awake because it's not going to end the way you think. The world is not the way, Jesus says, it's supposed to be. Let me ask you this, and this is obvious if you think about it. Did you ever notice that this life, things in this world are never as good as we expect them to be? That word expect is important. Did you ever notice that things don't always go the way we want? Did you ever notice that? Is it just me? Did you ever notice that sometimes bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people? Did you ever notice that people lie, cheat, and steal? Did you ever notice that things go wrong? You ever go to a funeral of someone you love and you think to yourself, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You intrinsically know in your guts 
Something's wrong here, man. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. We say that to ourselves, and you're right. Everybody knows, believer or non-believer, I don't care. Everybody knows the world is not the way it's supposed to be. When everyone says the world should be this, they are comparing this world to something else. Well, where might that world be? I'm going to tell you where it is. The Bible tells us that we were made for something better. Listen, we were made, friends, as human beings, men and women, we were made for Eden. Go back and read your scripture again, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're not there very long. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve live, and there's no suffering, there's no brokenness, there's no sand flies, no happy holidays. And, that's, and it's, everything's great. Everything is great until, listen again, you've heard this before, but listen to what the Scripture says. Until Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the knowledge of evil. In other words, they didn't know. They were, they were blissedly naive, kind of like when you raise your kids, right? You don't let them watch TV or be exposed to things, NFL games, and people kneel down, and it says, Daddy, why, is that, why are they kneeling? You don't want your kids to see that. You want them to stay secure. You want them to stay safe. You want them to stay protected from what? Evil. Well, Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of evil, and their eyes are open, boom, and they see it. We call that the fall. And ever since then, God's plan, the world has not been the way it's supposed to be. Not because it's God's fault, it's actually our fault. Friends, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We live in a fallen and broken world. And you know, the reason I'm saying that too, as a little segue, you know, because for lots of people, this time of the year, Christmas, is a great time. I love Christmas, actually. Kathy loves it more than I do, but I love Christmas. But for a lot of people, you know, people love Christmas. They like parties. They like, they like the season because of the festivities and the camaraderie and my birthday on December 20th. 52 trips around the sun this year. Bam! Ring that bell. Shameless plug, I admit. But, you know, this time of the year for a lot of people is just fun and full of joy and full of excitement. But for a lot of people, man, it's really a time of sadness. Memories of those who've died. Regret for things you've said or not said. But just bear that in mind as we go through this season of happy holidays that not everybody feels it is terribly happy. And the reason is simply because we live in a fallen world, friends, where things are not the way they're supposed to be, not the way that God planned them. There's an expression that I use frequently, an expression that I was given to me, and it's simple and profound. I'm going to give it to you today because I use it all the time. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. Every person in this building right now is struggling with something in their personal life. And if it's not you, it's someone close to you. Either it's your own health or your own well-being or someone whom you love. Friends, we've all got something. And a lot of times I know what that something is because people come to me and talk about it. But I'm telling you, as your pastor and just as Jesus' common sense to us, Friends, everybody's got something. You know why? Because the world's not the way it's supposed to be. Let me just ask you this, and I'm going to move on to point two. Where in your own life are you struggling with that very question right now, that the world is not the way it's supposed to be? I heard someone say to me not too long ago, someone said in a conversation, you know, we're not alone in this, friends. We're all in this together. We live in a fallen world. We've all got, everybody's got something. That's my first point. We are not alone, 
And everybody's got something because the world, friends, is fallen. But point number two, and this is where the good news comes in, Jesus is coming back to fix it. Look closely again at what Jesus says in his description of the world today. When he returns, he says in verse 24, the sun will be darkened, the heavens shaken, and the stars fall from the sky. Man, this is a whole remake. And they, the world, will see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. People will be terrified, they will cringe, they will cower, but not the church. If you look at Luke's gospel, Luke, Luke tells, Jesus tells the same story. Luke has a few more details I'm going to share with you. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says the following. Now when these things begin to take place, he says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Listen to that again. When these things begin to take place, Jesus says, stand up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. That Greek word for straighten up is the word anakupto. And it means to go from this, I'm just going to demonstrate it, go from this to this. It means to go from living in the weeds and living in the worries of this world and living in the details to raising your head, standing up and looking up because your redemption has drawn near. Man, so many of us, all of us, we're like this, right? We're living in the day-to-day grind. We're living in the fallenness of this world. Jesus says, wait. When I come back, you will stand and you will see that I've come back to get you. I remember when my, my dad first took me out to learn how to drive a car. My father was a very patient man, even though I wrecked his car. The very first day I got my license, that's another story. But when I, uh, I first, remember when you first learned to drive a car or you take one of your kids out to drive a car and they get in and where do they look? They, they don't look down the road, they look right in front of the hood, right? They look right over the front. So you drive and you try to drive a straight line when you're brand new at it. And because you're looking right in front, you drive like this right? And you're trying to overcompensate. And I remember driving, and my dad said, he said, Chris, he said, look up and look ahead. And I thought, I can't do that. I'm trying to keep it in the lines. He said, listen, if you look forward, you can drive it straighter. And that's Jesus's point. Stand up. Look up. Because you will see when you come out of the weeds and see the big picture that Christ is coming back to save us. He is coming back to set the world to rights. When I return, Jesus says, I am going to judge the world. I'm going to bring an army of angels with me. So stand up. I will set the world to rights. I will fix all these problems. I will raise the dead. And I will reign as king of a new heaven and a new earth, a reconstituted Eden. You know, Jesus is always telling us, fear not. And it's not in some sort of naive way, you know, the little orphan Annie, the sun will come out tomorrow. Oh, yeah, okay. No, Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid, man, because I've got this. So here's my question for you. What do you worry about and what do you fear? Jesus says, I've got you. I've got this. All of us worry about stuff. All of us have concerns in our lives because we live in a fallen and broken world. Jesus says, listen, when, you, when I come back, you will stand up. Yes, life is hard. Life is fallen. But I'm coming back to get you all. And when I do, I'm going to solve it. I'm going to solve the problems of your life. I'm going to solve the problem of the world. I'm going to set the world to right. He says, so be encouraged. Lift up your heads. See the big picture. Yes, the world has fallen, but Jesus is coming back, friends, to fix it. 
And that leads me to my final point, my final F. (laughs) That we are called, if the world has fallen, but Christ is coming back to fix it, then we are called, friends, to be forward-looking. People of hope. You know, love and hope are two of the most misunderstood words in the Christian vocabulary. We hear hope. We hear hope as something like, you know, I hope I get a puppy for Christmas, right? Or I hope Penn State wins, which never seems to happen. Or I hope, whatever, fill in the blank, right? But when we say, I hope for something, we, we use the word hope with the sense that we really want something to happen, but it might not. That's not what Christian hope means. For most people, the word hope has an element of doubt, or it's naive. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar. Okay, little orphan Annie, spare me. But Jesus says, look, we have hope, and that hope, Christian hope, is an altogether different animal. For in Christ, our hope is confidence. We are absolutely 100% sure that Christ is going to solve the problem. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. I'll read it to you. You've heard it before. Make my point. That hope is the assurance, not the, the assurance of things not seen. Friends, we are hopeful people because we know the end game. We are hopeful people because we know that Christ is going to return and set the world to rights. We are hopeful, full of hope, because Jesus wins. You know, one of the great privileges I have of being a parish priest, and there's lots, I've many, I'm a very fortunate and blessed man. But one of the great things I get to do as a parish priest, I get to meet all sorts and types of people. The old prophet used to say, all sorts and conditions of men. I love that. But there was a, when I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, where I was before I came here, Kathy and I lived in Little Silver, the church was in Red Bank, there's a group of people, four or five of them, which really, really rocked my world. There were five or six people that were, had belonged to a church, but it was defunct. They were all in their 80s. And because their church group had, been, had gone defunct, they came to the Episcopal Church, and they'd been there for, at Trinity for many, many years. But they had a profound impact on me, and I'll tell you why. Because they really believed in all this end-of-the-world stuff. They really believed it. And I guess I'd never really thought about it. I was a good, a good Episcopalian and a good Roman Catholic before that. Yeah, we say it in the creed every Sunday, I believe in the life to come. I never thought about it, I'll be honest with you. But they really believed all this end-of-the-world stuff. They really put their entire hope and confidence on the return of Jesus. I never really thought about it until I met a woman named Bertha Halleck. Bertha Halleck was about, I don't know, what would you say, Kath, 80 pounds soaking wet, maybe this tall. She would pray, and you know when you're in the presence of somebody who just gets it? I would pray with her. Her husband was dying of dementia. And we were, I'd laid hands on him. I'd anointed him, given him last rites. And we prayed together. And I, after I was done praying, she said, I will never forget this. She said, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I will never forget that. Because that showed me something very profound I just never thought of before. That the entire Christian life is about that very thing about waiting for Christ to return, about waiting for him to return and set the world to rights. Friends, today we are here on the first Sunday of Advent to be reminded that life is short, that we live in a fallen world, that that Jesus is going to come back and fix it. 
And that for you and me as Christians, you see, we are to pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because in the end, there is nothing to fear. Not even the end of the world. Shall we pray, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, the ultimate straight shooter. Lord, this world has fallen. We are fallen. We know this, but Jesus is coming back to get us. Give us confidence. Give us assurance. Give us hope as we wait in joyful hope for his return when he will put all things to rights. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.